Happy December, everybody. We've got some cold weather. Christmas decorations are up all over town. We're making chili. It's that time of year. We're getting close to championship football here in the SEC. And here on First Down South, we're going to be getting you ready for an upcoming championship matchup. We're getting you ready for the Heisman race. And we're talking about all the other stuff that happens at the end of a football season, some of which is not quite as pleasant as a pot of chili. I'm joined today by two of the best reporters here in the SEC. That would be John Talty and Matt Zenitz. So first of all, guys, I got to ask you, are you are you more of a are you a chili guy or a soup guy this time of year? I ate chili last night. Stacey, there you go. Stacy made some good chili. She added a little cheddar cheese that she didn't have in there. Made it good move. Better. But I, I mean, hard to go away from the, the chili, especially after eating it last night. The, the main thing for me, it, it's it's always just great to, to see these two faces on the Tuesday morning, it, especially bearded Jude Law up in that, that top left corner. So I love that that comparison that, that Patrick Greenfield had thrown out. So obviously we had started off with the bearded yeah. Billy Joel. I, I like bearded Jude Law. That, that's a need, good need to make it clear to everyone that I do not do uh, Matt's employee reviews. So despite despite the buttering me up, it, it will it will it will not produce any results for him. John John, I got to know, are you are you chili guy or soup guy? I mean, I would I would like to be a chili guy, but unfortunately, Michael Casagrande and Justin Yerkinen have bought up the entire chili supply in Birmingham, so I can't even get my hands on chili if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, I'm really not. Uh, I'm really not one of either. It's funny. I was telling somebody the other day. Uh, you know, when the pandemic first started, uh, I panic bought just a ton of soup. And I have not eaten any of it since March. So we're coming, to, it's getting closer and closer to the year. I have probably about 20 to 25 cans of soup in my pantry <laughs> that has been there the entire time. It's good. That's that's like some good old Y2K prepper uh, <laughs> level. Matt, John just gave me a great idea. So before we went on, we were having the, the very important discussion of how we're going to watch Wonder Woman 1984 when that comes out. And, and Matt was expressing concern about where he's going to be able to watch it since he's not able to do that at home right now. So John just gave me a great idea that you can just go to John's house and you can have a couple bowls of soup and you guys can sit there soup and watch party. I'll sit outside John's John's place and I'll and he'll open the window for me <laughs> and I and I'll I'll be outside so it's safe and I can just watch through John's window while eating some soup and that's a totally normal thing and it's not weird. Wait, what do the friends do that? Yeah. Friends friends watch movies through each other's windows. It's Wait, totally what, normal. What are the soup options that you have, John? <laughs> I think I got them all. There's really you got you got everything. Yeah, you went for the full Progresso line. Yeah. All right. So Campbell. so uh, Progresso here. Yeah. So so look, there's there's uh there's definitely a need for comfort, comfort food, comfort in general over at Auburn right now. It's it's been a rough stretch uh, on the plains for Auburn fans, and you know, look, I, I think the last two weeks. I think most Auburn fans probably went into that stretch with a reasonable expectation uh, that those were not going to be wins, right? I mean, you're playing the number one team in the country and the number five team in the country. Really, really tough situation for even a very good team. That said, uh, over you know, looking at it over the course of the entire season, Auburn is now in a situation where they've got four losses. And yes, this is a weird season, but I think most Auburn fans feel disappointed about that. And Gus Malzahn kind of made the situation a little worse for himself this week with how he handled 
the question of whether this was a disappointing season or not. Uh, Gus, and, and I, don't have the, I don't have the direct word-for-word quote right in front of me. That's kind of not the point because the phrase uh, – here we go. Patrick's actually got it for me. He said the goal will be the next best – the six and four, that's what it'll be, six and four. If you had a normal non-conference schedule, it'd be a solid year. So a confusing quote, and I think that Gus was trying to get a different point across. I think he was trying to say, look, if this was a normal season, we would probably have four non-conference wins. Uh, And instead, we had to play a 10-game SEC schedule, which obviously, objectively, is more difficult. However, Uh, As a lot of fans have pointed out, the losses didn't come to teams that Auburn necessarily wouldn't have been playing otherwise, other than maybe South Carolina. And frankly, that's not an easy one to write off. They they lost to Alabama and Texas A&M and Georgia, which are three teams they would have played anyway. Um, So I I guess here's here's the situation we find ourselves in, guys. Gus, maybe inadvertently, suggested that he actually wasn't very disappointed by the results of this season. So, John, first of all, tell me kind of how that has played. We know how it's played in the fan base, but I'm curious maybe how it's played with other folks around Auburn. It has not played well, uh, to put it it succinctly. You know, I've heard that uh, Auburn AD Alan Green has been getting bombarded uh, by boosters in the last, you know, few days, uh, really starting after that loss. Uh, I think that Gus's comments in particular have really rankled people. Um, there's, you know, some some different powerful people who have never been fans of Gus. Uh, we've talked about this on this show in the past. And, you know, this just gives them extra ammo to try to, you know, convince uh, the Auburn administration that Gus is no longer the guy. So there's certainly some real issues, I think, for Gus. Um, there have been for a while. I've talked about it plenty of times. He doesn't have a lot of goodwill with the fan base. Uh doesn't have a lot of goodwill with some of the important boosters. And so when you add in some kind of dumb comments, like the one that he made, uh, I think it just kind of makes it even harder for him to try to you know, get back on the good side of some of those people. And so, uh, you know, he's heading into a very, very important game. Uh, I don't think, you know, you shouldn't view a person's entire career, especially an eight-year stretch, off just one game. But that said, I think a loss to Mississippi State this weekend would be very challenging for Gus to come back from. And I think it would give a lot of ammo to people that want to make a move uh, to kind of force that action. And we've talked about that game a little bit uh, already on this show that we don't think it's necessarily the the easy win for Auburn that it might've looked like a few weeks ago. Mississippi state's been playing a little bit better. I want to go back to Patrick had a quote, our our producer had a, a, the second quote up a minute ago and, and Gus, actually, this is, to me, what's sort of remarkable about this is that the initial quote was post-game on Saturday. And Gus actually sort of took the time to come back and clarify what he said, um, which coaches, we all know, we've interviewed coaches a lot. They don't like to acknowledge that they ever said anything incorrect, right? If, if people took the wrong impression, it's those people's fault, generally, is how it's treated. But I think Gus did sort of realize that he he perhaps said something he shouldn't have. And he came back to clarify, said, I just want to make sure it's very clear. Our expectation is to win championships here at Auburn. And rather, you know, right or wrong, Matt Zenitz, that that I think is what you kind of have to say as a coach. So 
is this maybe a case where Gus being a little too honest is part of what hurt him here? Well, the bigger problem is that the goal at Auburn and the expectation at Auburn is to compete for championships. And I don't know how realistically close they are to doing that. So there are certain teams that are 500 teams that they at least accomplish things during the season that it leaves you optimistic for moving forward. I don't know if you can say that about Auburn. So one of the the big pieces that that they're building around is Bo Nix. And Bo Nix definitely hasn't progressed this year. If anything, he's, he's regressed. So in their four losses has all of one touchdown pass and six interceptions combined. And if you look at those, the, those four losses where specifically if you, you want to take a look at the, the Alabama and Georgia games, obviously two of the top teams that they've played this year, not only did they lose those games, but they were lopsided. They lost by at least three touchdowns in each of those games. And now you go into next year where it's very fair to, to question Bo Nix and just his ceiling as a quarterback and where he's headed in terms of his development. Then you lose some of your top people defensively to go along with that, including potentially some of his top playmakers on that offense. But going back to what you said about the Mississippi State game, I I think this is a big game. So does it factor in any sort of championship run or anything like that? No, but I do think along the lines of what John talked about, that the pressure on Gus Graytons if they do lose this game, which looks like much more of a possibility than it would have looked like a few weeks ago, just based on the trajectory right now of Mississippi State and how they continue to play defensively, how they play defensively most of the year to go along with them finally taking a step forward these last couple games on offense. I'm not saying that I'm expecting Mississippi State to beat Auburn, but this is not some sort of gimme game for Auburn by any means. Yeah, and I think I think part of the issue that's been an ongoing thing for Gus um, that I that I've kind of noticed and a lot of us have noticed year after year, you know, being being a head coach in the SEC or at really any power program, part of that job, and I would say maybe one of the more difficult jobs, is managing expectations and helping your fan base. You want this combination of your fans being excited and enthusiastic about what's going on in your program, but you also don't want to set yourself up for impossible expectations. I think there has to be a a healthy mix of optimism and realism for, for, for the health of the program and the fan base. You know, look, if you're too optimistic, first of all, you're setting your, your fans up for disappointment, but you're also, I think, occasionally hurting yourself in recruiting. If you're constantly saying, look, this group we got coming back next year, this is the, this is the team. This is there. These are the guys that are going to win the championship. Doesn't actually necessarily help you all that much in recruiting. Um, because as we've seen, and we'll talk about LSU in a minute, LSU's having a disastrous season on the field, but their recruiting is actually going very well. And part of that's because, Ed Orgeron plays the up the element of we need help right away. If you come in, you're going to pl- probably have a really good chance to play immediately. I don't know that Gus necessarily balances those two things particularly well. And he's already saying, you know, part of his follow-up comment was saying, hey, look, we think in 2021, we think we got a real special, we got a chance to do something special. And fans, I think, are a little tired of hearing that. I think they've stopped trusting Gus a little bit on on his claims of that because he seems to to say things like that almost every year yeah and I think he's run into this problem multiple years I mean again 
you know, we're kind of playing Gus's greatest hits here, but you look back, I mean, I remember the Jeremy Johnson hype, you know, you go back to the hype that he put on Bo Nix after last season when he's saying this guy's going to win a national championship before he leaves here. You know, he does this thing uh, where he, like you said, Matt, basically puts on too much, I think puts too much pressure on himself, you know, to some regard, you know, it's, it's a very fine balance in which, you know, he's now kind of getting beat up on both sides of it where, you know, on one end, he's not being, you know, optimistic enough in some regard by saying a six and four season could be solid. And on the flip side, you know, he's basically saying we're going to have a really, really, really special year, whatever he said. And all of a sudden that puts big expectations on the following year. So he kind of gets himself hit on both sides of the argument. But I think ultimately he's just never found the right balance of being optimistic enough to get fans excited, but not too much so that everyone can point back to the things that you said when things don't go well. And I think that's what we've really seen this year. Um, you know, he's trying to kind of spin it now is that it was a rebuilding year. But if you look at some of the comments he made at the end of last year and leading into this year, they're much more optimistic and that's what fans expected. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Look, I, I, I frankly don't know how I would do it in that situation, but I also know that I'm a very different person than Gus Malzahn. I, I, I will say we got to spend some time with him a, a couple of years ago filming a video uh, where with Lauren Sisler, where she did kind of, we got to kind of hang out with Gus all day and, and pick his brain about various things. And I'll say my, my biggest takeaway from that experience of really getting to spend time with Gus in his own element is that he, I don't think that this is posturing. I think he's a very confident guy and sometimes people can be overconfident. I think sometimes people can, you can believe in yourself a little too much. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes it helps him. I think that's part of what puts him in a in a position to win in games where a lot of other coaches would kind of hang it up and say, we're, we're not good enough to win this game. But I think sometimes it also maybe makes him blind to some of the realities because Gus, I, I think Gus firmly believes that if he was on equal footing, let's say, if he didn't have some inherent if he had some of the advantages that some of his other members of the coaching community have, that he would be considered one of the top coaches in college football. I think he, he believes he's on that level. And you kind of, you, I think you kind of have to be that way to be successful. You have to believe that you have it within yourself, but it does help. Again, I think sometimes it helps to see your own limitations too. Uh, let, let's speaking of limitations, let's let's talk about LSU right now because I I think this has been a weird <clears throat> season, not because there was drop off. And again, we've talked about LSU multiple times on this show. It, it's it's the 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 sort of extent of it. Um, how did they fall this far, this fast, and how has it how has nobody been able to stop the bleeding at LSU? That this. The, the blowout loss at Alabama was foreseeable. I think what will be tougher to overcome, Matt Zenitz, is is the the fallout of it. The assistant coaches that are probably inevitably going to have to be fired. The players, the young players now that we're seeing who are entering the transfer portal, those are things that could last years. It's just a never-ending never cycle of drama seamlessly at LSU at this point. So preface this by, by saying when you lose the amount of people that they lost coming out of last year and then going into this season with some of the, the additional opt-outs, 
there were going to be some challenges, especially when they, when you then factor in that they lost the, their starting quarterback and have been without him for a good amount of the year and been depending on a true freshman to start. All of that said, the, the issues at LSU go well beyond just the scoreboard and the record at the court. From everything I've heard, morale inside that building, inside the program, is at a very bad point right now to the, to the point that after they lost to, to Alabama the other day, other day I, I've heard of a, at least some LSU players who went, went up to Alabama players after the game where we're talking about how, how unhappy they were and, and expressing a desire to, to get out of there, essentially. So that is not good, especially when that's coming from some of the, the young, promising guys on your team that you're going to be depending on for moving forward. So obviously – Words out at this point about the, the Eric Gilbert situation. They're going to do everything they can to, to try to keep him there. And, and it seems like that that came out of nowhere from uh, LSU perspective yesterday where that, that was completely off the radar until yesterday morning. And then uh, I guess he has communication where he, he brings up about having interest in opting out, that that's a consideration. And then the consideration of opting out turns into him strongly considering transferring. He has not informed them at this point of any sort of final decision regarding that, but but obviously there's a, a strong level of concern that that's going to be the route that he ultimately decides to go. And then some additional concern that if when he leaves, he's not going to be the, the last one to make that same kind of move. And, and also specifically not to, that, that he won't be the, the last young promising guy that they're depending on for moving forward to potentially make that kind of move. There, there's definitely concern that, that there could be a, at least a little bit of an exodus as they move forward through the final part of this season and heading into the, the offseason. Matt, that is, a, that is an amazing anecdote that you shared in there and, and a, a kind of weirdly you know, inverse of what we saw at the end of the Alabama LSU game last year, where where the LSU players are literally walking over to Bama recruits saying, "Come to LSU," you know, and and he, and we're here a year later, and there's LSU players going to Alabama players saying, "Hey, maybe yeah. y'all got room? Y'all got room for us? Can we can we come home?" With you? Yeah, yeah, I want to add in also, so just to go along with that, obviously there are some issues from a, a coaching perspective. So one of one of the things with LSU's national championship team. If you think back to just one of the the great characteristics of that team, it was the coaching staff. So Ed Orgeron had done a great job with that 2019 staff of surrounding himself with with some great people. And obviously Dave Aranda defensively did a great enough job that continued to build on his reputation and ultimately got a a head coaching job. Looking at it specifically with, with the defense, and obviously there have been issues offensively also, but looking at it specifically with the defense, the feedback that I continue to get from people in the coaching world is just how flawed the approach is from a scheme and sorry, stumble over my words from a scheme and concept standpoint defensively to, to where I, I would be very surprised to, coming out of this season if they didn't didn't have to make some sort of move when, when it comes to that DC position. But, but it's been kind of crazy just the feedback that continue to get from other people in the coaching world regarding that LSU defense and just pointing it how flawed the, the approach is from a, a scheme and concept standpoint. And, John, we know that that a big part of what makes the coaching carousel turn in the SEC 
is looking towards the future. It's not just about being angry about what has just happened. It's about what does the future look like for our program? It's been, it's, it's an interesting question, LSU, because they've recruited pretty consistently well, I would say. If, if it's, if it hasn't just been a, it's either been, I would say, maintaining the very high level that Les Miles was able to recruit or a step up. I mean, Ed Orgeron has been a phenomenal recruiter at LSU so far and is continuing to. They're, they're the number three class in the country right now, according to 24-7 Sports. That said, uh, that, that level of recruiting is supposed to prevent the kind of season that we're seeing at LSU right now. This, this kind of thing really shouldn't happen at a program that recruits like a blue blood, uh, the way that LSU does, where do you, where do you think, um, what's the sense, I guess, in the coaching community about this job and and how secure it is for Ed Orgeron? There's going to be a lot of pressure on Orgeron heading into next year. You know, I think like Mac uh, said, I think there's going to be a need for some staffing changes. I think that's probably going to be one of the ways that he tries to, you know, maybe build up some goodwill. You know, firing Bo Pelini, I think, is a, a strong a strong start. And then you may be hiring a good DC. You go into next year, maybe you know the talent comes back. You show that, you know, last year was just a blip. You get back on track and then things go from there. But I will tell you that, you know, people have already told me kind of in the search industry, coaching world that, you know, this is a job people are keeping their eyes on. Uh, don't expect it to open up this year, obviously, but but next year, I think people think that there's at least a possibility that it could happen. And so that to me is you kind of, in some ways, you would think shocking him. They just won a national championship, but I think that the fall has been so severe this year and so extreme that there's real concerns about how things are going to be going forward. You've also obviously, of course, seen you know some of the the negative stories around that program, um, some of the you know much more you know, problematic Title IX issues, uh, which continue to hang over LSU, um, which would cause some problems as well. So I think, you know, Ogeron is going to have to make some changes, hopefully get the talent back for next year and, and have a stronger season. But I think given he's only, you know, less than a year removed from winning a national championship, his seat is a bit warmer than you would expect headed into 2021. It is an interesting spot. I mean, it's it's got a lot of advantages. You would be stepping into a situation where you have an absolutely loaded roster, uh, no matter what happens. I mean, there's the, the, like we just said, the talent that's been recruited to that program is is unreal. Uh, a lot of coaches would would love to have their hands on that. But it's also a, a job in a division that, frankly, isn't getting any less competitive right now. It's a tough moment for for anybody in the SEC West. You don't want to be moving down right now. Alabama's not going anywhere. Texas A&M looks like maybe, look, maybe this is just a really good year. Maybe they've, maybe they're figuring some stuff out. Maybe they're about to be consistently a little bit stronger. Um, and then you've got, you know, late, I, I think to me the most terrifying prospect of the future in the SEC West is that Lane Kiffin hasn't really even gotten to recruit yet. Um, and, and he and his offense already looks like that. So I, I, I think it's a tough moment in the SEC West to be stumbling. I, I, it it's reminds me of, of the, the, the zombie movies where the zombies are fast, right? Like you, if, if you just stay ahead of them, you're okay. But if you, if you stumble, if you slip on a rock at all, uh, everybody's probably leaving your, you behind. You know? and, and look at this too. I mean, as you said, you know, you've got 
we know the powers, Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU should be up there. Auburn should be up there. Like, I mean, Arkansas has been strong all year. That's They're not, not getting worse. Ole Miss, I think, has a chance to really, you know, excel going forward. And, you know, as much as we've talked about Mike Leach struggling, that team's starting to play better. And if he can get, you know, I know Matt's talked about this, if he can get the QB that he needs in his system, he's got a good one committed, get some more guys to fit his system. Like, I don't think Mississippi State's going to be the easiest out either. So that, that division is loaded, and it usually is. But, like, you usually need an Arkansas or somebody to be at the bottom. And, like, Pittman's really impressed me with what he's doing. And it seems like all of the teams that are struggling the most are all in the SEC East this year. So it's tough for anybody in the West right now. Yeah, we will, uh, we will see. We'll keep our eye out on it and, uh, and see how the rest of the recruiting season goes. Obviously going to be a really important part of, of heading into 2021. Let's, um, let's take a moment to talk about the Heisman race, which is still a good bit of a ways off. I don't know when the voting deadline is. Uh, but we know that they've moved back the actual ceremony this year into January, um, which, frankly, I, I would like to see be a permanent change going forward. I feel like this is an award that should factor in the full season, if possible. Um, you know, there, there's really happen this year, isn't it? I, I feel like you told me that recently that it's still, or I, I feel like John, you told me that recently that it's still. Uh, the, the votes are still due after SEC title game. That yeah, which which technically moves it back a little bit, but they've at least moved it past championship Saturday. Um, so but, after the season, in my opinion, we we can save that yeah. conversation for a different day. But yeah, I, but but I, I think where we are right now, it's it's a um, it's been a quiet race all year, but I think now you're starting to hear it heat up a little bit. It seems that it's sort of been between. Uh, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask for almost the entire season, and we're heading towards a moment where those two players are going to be uh, have an opportunity to be on the field at the same time, and and probably at this point, and and um, you know, I'll I'll let you weigh in on this first, John. Is it is it oversimplifying to say that 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 SEC championship game is also has the Heisman Trophy on the line? I, th- I don't think it's oversimplifying. I think that I think it's going to play a huge role because it does look like Trask and and Mac are the top two guys. Uh, and also, I think just what happens in that game with Devonta Smith, who seems to be emerging as a possible candidate, uh, could have an impact as well. You know, one of the things that is just kind of interesting to me is that you know a few years ago, Mac Jones felt like an afterthought, and here he is potentially winning a Heisman uh, that that Tua, for all his hype, never did. Jalen, for all his hype, never did. So that, to me, is just kind of striking itself that Mac Jones is a legitimate, you know, either one or two right now in the Heisman race. Uh, I think the Devonta Smith factor is going to be really interesting uh, in terms of how much is that cut into the votes that Mac gets. Uh, it's also interesting, of course, that, you know, Kyle Trask is in Florida. Trevor Lawrence is a candidate. He's in, you know, South Carolina. All Southern-based guys really seem to be the top contenders. So how does that cut up the vote of people down here? Uh, that can certainly play a role in who ends up winning. But I think what Kyle does against Alabama defense and, and vice versa, uh, Mac does to Florida's defense, I think it's going to play a huge impact and kind of getting a chance to see those guys go one-on-one. Matt, if you're if you're handicapping it right now, looking at how that game matches up because uh, look the Heisman is a is a very fickle thing it, it's it's entirely perception based really um, who who has the better opportunity you think going into that game just in terms of what what kind of situations they're going to be in obviously 
Some of it is the, the players you have around you offensively and how they're playing, but also the defense that you're having to go up against. Who, who do you think uh, has kind of the better situation going into that game? I'll lead in by saying that if I had a Heisman vote, and I'm not a Heisman voter, but if I was voting at this point, my vote would go to Devontae Smith. I don't think there's a more deserving player in the country of winning the Heisman based on how things stand right now than Devontae Smith. So not, not only does he continue to rewrite the, the Alabama record books in terms of receiver numbers, but to me, the, the main thing that sticks out is he is arguably and likely, I, I'll add in, the, the top and most valuable player on the number one team in the country. That means something. And I, I'll throw in also a comment from Nick Saban that, that stuck out to me, and I'm sure it stuck out to other people also, that when he was talking about Devontae Smith a, after Alabama's game against LSU, he referred to Devontae. And I, I feel like it's important to point out also Nick Saban is not one to just throw out compliments, which I feel like everyone knows at this point. But he, he said about Devontae that Devontae's impact this year is as great of an impact as he's ever gotten from an Alabama player while he's been there. That, that's a pretty strong compliment coming from Nick Saban. And I, I think something that will help Devontae moving forward is not only is he having a terrific year, not only is he respected from from the standpoint of, of people inside that Alabama program and people around the conference, but I think there's enough buzz growing, growing around him and his name right now that he could really have a chance, even though he doesn't play that quarterback position and is at a spot at, with, with wide receiver where obviously – Players at that position don't typically uh, factor into the the Heisman race in terms of the top one or two spots. That said, in terms of the the two quarterbacks, you have Kyle Trask who leads the the nation in touchdown passes, and then you have Mac Jones who ranks number one nationally among Power Five quarterbacks in pass efficiency. And Mac also has a, another stat very much on his side in terms of the win loss record, where he has a zero in the, the loss column, while Kyle Trask obviously has the, the loss to A&M. So if Florida goes out, beats Alabama, Kyle Trask has a great game. I, I think it's a no-brainer that Kyle Trask probably wins the Heisman at that point. But things really get interesting if Alabama wins the game and we, we're in a similar spot right as we are right now where you have Mac Jones and Devontae both coming off great games and having continued the, the seasons that they're having at this point. But I'll end with Devontae has a strong page. I think the the chances of him being a real factor in that are, are growing week by week. I, I definitely think that he's made it more interesting. He's made the discussion more complex. And you're right, Nick Saban does not hand out compliments like that uh, easily. I, I, think, I think what is curious about it to me is just and, – and look, this is frankly the reason why quarterbacks tend to win this so often is – They've got a lot of factors playing in their favor, right? You have, you get to have, when, when you're a wide receiver, you kind of have to go out there and make plays happen for yourself. When you're a quarterback, you get the five biggest people on the field uh, protecting you. You get options of who to give the ball to. You get, you get a whole playbook that's sort of built around your own skills and abilities. Devontae is, is obviously doing incredible things, even with all the defensive attention he's getting. But if we're talking about the next two weeks, I mean, look, if you're Arkansas and you're Sam Pittman trying to game plan for Alabama, you're not, you, you know you're not going to win this game, okay? This is not a, this is not a situation where you where are going into this game saying, we got a shot to win this game and, and <clears throat> make our season. It's probably the conversation I'm guessing is at least somewhat built around, we got to take something away from them. We have to, they're going to beat us. 
let's make sure they don't beat us X way. And I, to me, if I'm a defensive coach right now, I'm saying I'll let Alabama beat me any way except just long, deep bombs to Devontae Smith all day. I can't stomach it. I can't let them win the Heisman against me. Um, so I, I do feel yeah, like I didn't could see that. that. Sam Pittman is definitely not having those conversations. So something that I very much respect about Sam Pittman, and I've heard this from Arkansas people, Sam Pittman goes into every game, and it could be against – uh, Alabama, the Pittsburgh yes. Steelers, the, the Patriots with Tom Brady out there. Sam Pittman expects to, to be competitive and to, to have a chance to win. And I think that's a, a mindset that has led to them having some of the success that they yes. have. And I'm, and I'm sure that Dan Mullen is, is, is certainly going into the SEC championship game with a, with a plan to win. I'm just saying, I think if you, have to, if, if you have to try to scheme to take away something from Alabama right now, Mm-hmm. Devonte Smith is probably the thing you want to take away. I don't know, John. John, you 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 may have a better perspective on well, that than me. Well, one, I'm just I just would love to see Matt Scalise, the football coach, now deliver <laughs> speech like, "Well, boys, we're going to get killed this week, but I can want about to do it to us." Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit. Uh, Zenith might remember this. Uh, it was a it was a, probably a decade or so ago where. Uh, a basketball team in Maryland, I think they're playing Davidson with Steph Curry. They ran basically a box and one, and we're just trying to do everything they could to just make sure Steph Curry didn't kill them. You know, they were throwing all kinds of different guys at him um, various times, you know, triple teaming, stuff like that. They lost by like 30, 40 points, so it didn't work out. But their whole thing was like, Steph Curry is not beating us. So yeah. maybe that's the Scalise strategy there. <laughs> ultimately, I do think, I mean, you see it in the NFL a lot in which, you know, Bill Belichick type, We'll be like, okay, I am not letting this guy beat us. And we'll build a plan around, okay, we are completely taking DeAndre Hopkins off this game. He's not getting the ball. And it's not to just lose. It's just we're going to take away their top weapon. So I do think, you know, between Sam Pittman and, and Barry Odin, who I have a lot of respect for, I do think there will be a lot of, you know, attention around let's take Devonta out of this game. But, of course, the challenge is Alabama also has Najee Harris, uh, they've got, you know, John Mechie. They've got Billingsley who's playing better. You know, they've got a lot of different other guys that can that can crush you. But it would not surprise me to see Missouri put an emphasis on we're not letting Devonta score three touchdowns against us. Yeah, I, de- I guess my main point in all of this is I think it's a lot easier to, uh, to take a Devonta Smith out for a game than it is to really to limit Mac Jones. Uh, he's he's just got so many different options for how he can get his numbers, his touchdowns, his his performance uh, looking like a Heisman level performance. I think it would be surprising to me to see Devonte do what he has just done against Auburn and LSU for the next two weeks. But if I'm wrong, I, I definitely think he could. He could find himself um, among the finalists for the Heisman Trophy. So let me ask you guys this before we wrap up. There's there's a lot of talk about vote splitting, and I think it's a little bit confusing as to how exactly that would play out. But in terms of in terms of Mac versus Devonte, are there are there situations we can point to in the in the past where that happens, where these where two guys on the same team end up sort of preventing each other from winning because the the preferential ballot the way that you vote for the Heisman is you're you're picking three candidates by order of preference and I, I'm I guess I'm a little bit 
curious as to how how that would play out if you've got these two guys both on the, uh, and, and they're both on the majority of the ballots are they are they really hurting each other or are they knocking other candidates off the ballot potentially I think that's an overrated concept, and that's just my opinion. You guys may disagree, but didn't hurt Reggie Bush back in 2005 or whatever year it was that, that he won the Heisman. To me, it comes down to voting for the, the best players in, in the, the country, and uh, votes are going to be split among the, the guys that are viewed as the, the top two or three anyway, regardless whether they're on the, the same team or not. And, and one last point that I'll make about Devontae, just to follow up on what you were saying uh, Scalise, so, so you brought up how with, with Mac, it benefits him that even if you want to try to take somebody away, he has so many different weapons that it's t- tough to eliminate him as a whole. And that's something that, that works in Devontae's favor also, where you have so many different weapons on this offense that it's tough to focus just on taking him away like you would maybe be able to if he were on a different team that didn't have a, a Najee Harris or a, a John Mechie across from him or uh, Jaleel Billingsley, like John's throwing out at tight end, starting to, to make some plays. It, it makes it tougher to focus on just completely shutting him down. Like once again, you would maybe be able to if he were on a different team. And, and then to go along with that, this is something that I think of when I think of uh, these types of awards. That essentially, how would players and coaches around the conference vote on it? And my opinion. Uh, just based on different things that have heard from from different coaches around the, the conference that, uh, and again, this is just my feel based on those different things, that, that if you polled players and coaches around the, the conference on who they feel like is most deserving of being the Heisman winner, I, I think Kyle Trask would probably get the most votes right now. But if it did come down to things from an Alabama perspective, I, I do think Devontae would, would maybe get more votes than, than Mac at this point. It could, it could have worded even stronger than maybe, but I, I'll just leave it at, at that. I think Devontae hey, has a lot of respect to, around the conference and also on a national level to where if it was up to, to players and coaches that he, he would have an even stronger chance than he may have right now. Very interesting. All right. Well, we will, uh, we'll see how things look this week. It's a, it's a, a, a lighter week in the SEC maybe than we've had the, the last couple, of, not, not as many big consequential games around the league, but it's basically going to be uh, an opportunity for Mac and Kyle Trask to uh, and Devontae Smith to potentially continue to make their case uh, for the Heisman Trophy. So we'll see how everybody looks this weekend. And uh, guys, stay stay warm. Get your get your chili and or soup on this weekend. Right, raid that Talty Pantry. Raid the Talty Soup Pantry. You're going to be over there later today. <laughs> Chicken corn chowder and hopefully some other options to go along with that. Chicken corn chowder.